And welcome to the Money Cafe, a weekly business podcast co-produced by The Australian and The Constant Investor. I'm James Kirby. And I'm Alan Cole, a publisher of The Constant Investor. And we are The, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. And this week we're in the Bistro d'Orsay in Collins Street, Melbourne. Beautiful place it is too. Yes, change of scenery this week and looking at some uh, very pretty uh, mirrors and ceiling uh, paintings, etc. Here at the, uh, in the middle of, uh, almost at the fringes of the Paris end of Collins Street. What's the fringes of Paris, the, uh, the Perifreak? <laughs> okay, now let's get to business. Uh, certainly um, one of the big results of the week, and it's interesting because we were both going to, we both had it on our, on our shortlist, Alan, was a BHP. And I'm com- I haven't actually spoken to you, but I'm coming from an extremely skeptical, skeptical position on BHP. Uh, have, uh, uh, Roger Montgomery is going to write for the Australian on Saturday in the wealth section. And he, he's, he's a value investor. He's, he's always kept away from BHP. His point is that um, even now, uh, the profit on BHP uh, la- this year is going to be 42% less than it was in 47 in 2007 and last year it was 87% less than it was in 2007 and his basic point is your equity invested in BHP is, uh, is hopeless, it's actually a minus yield uh, for many many years and the company though it may raft on commodity prices when they go right is not a particularly well managed operation. <laughs> well there you are, Look, I think in the past that's true and, and um, but you look uh, uh, fair enough. I'm, I've got. I'm an admirer of Roger, but really, uh, BHP and any investment, you're not investing in the past. You're investing in the future. The question is not what they've done in the past, but what they've done in the future. And, I, and one of the, the interesting things I find about BHP is that Andrew McKenzie, the CEO, and his CFO Peter Bevan, uh, in four years, have taken 11 billion dollars out of costs. That is extraordinary. 11 billion dollars, and you think, what the hell was going on before? I mean. How, how come there were $11 billion to be got out of costs? Because it was one of the world's biggest miners, I suppose. Well, and yes, everybody it, was paid very well. But it was clearly one of the world's worst companies. Mm. I mean, and that, in a sense, goes to what Roger was saying. Mm. I mean, sure, the profit's down, uh, but also it's partly because it's, so, it's apparently been so poorly run. You know, I mean... Um, I wonder, looking at... Because uh, everybody ha- should have resources, and the issue with many of our listeners, I imagine, is they have them and they have watched them decline, particularly Rio, BHP, Woodside, and this time round they see the cycle inevitably. It's coming again. There's an upswing for sure. So the issue is, do you go back in? Can would you go back into these big miners with the same confidence? Uh, as previously, for instance, on dividends, they've disappointed too. Even BHP, they got rid of their progressive dividend policy. They did, and that's right. But they're back to 50% payout ratio now. In fact, more than 50% because they uh, put on a, a special dividend this time. So, but it was under McKenzie that that was scrapped. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, they had to because you know because they got whacked by the iron ore price falling. And mm. I mean, uh, we, everyone was saying to them, both McKenzie and Bevan, over the years, you know, you've got to get rid of this stupid dividend policy because no no company's got a, a minimum guarantee of dividend. It's crazy. Um, but look, uh, I mean, it's clearly now a much tighter, more productive, better run company than it was. Uh, it's forty percent iron ore, twenty percent coal, twenty percent petroleum. 20% copper. It's a simple business, four products, 40-20, 20-20, um, and it's pretty well run. I mean, 
you know, it, it seems to me to be a pretty good way to invest in the commodity upswing if you believe in it. Well, James, that's a good cue to bring in the BT Financial Group mega trend moment, which um, we can talk about commodities because uh, it is definitely a mega trend and um, it's uh, definitely on the rise. It is. And, and it's interesting, someone like Tim Tregold, who we both worked with for many years, will always say it is a cycle and sometimes the cycle is extended and perhaps the downturn was extended since 2007. But beyond a doubt, commodities are on an upswing. And the issue for investors is how do they ride this upswing? And in Australia, the issue is do you go back into these companies, BHP and Woodside and Rio? They don't go away. They dominate the market because that's our way in, isn't it, really? Yeah, well, and it's interesting. One of the, one of the interesting things to note is that um, in this commodity upswing, as opposed to the last one, all these miners um, are uh, run by, uh, operated by robots now. I mean, uh, that, that is uh, at the operation, at the codeface, yes. so to speak. So now mm. you're, you're actually um, investing in this kind of human-free mine, mm. uh, with ta- uh, taking the ore to the ports in human-free trains. Still, um, still managed and by humans, though. Yeah, that's who right. Who are fallible. <laughs> exactly. No, but um, it, it, I don't know whether, how, uh, it's a, whether that's a big deal or not, but it is true that I think the cost of these mines are much lower now than they were before, not just BHP, but, but all of them. Uh, and it's probably the case that the upswing in commodity prices won't be as strong as the last time. Uh, clearly, the, the global economy is, is recovering, but it's recovering slowly and you know, in a, in a more subdued way than in the past. And we're not getting the sort of stimulus in China that caused such a huge uh, upswing in commodities after the GFC. So, you know, yes, it's an upswing. It might be a a more subdued upswing than we've seen in the past, I think. Okay. I I I was interested, one interesting thing, uh, one uh, commodity that's on the move and is going to be quite interesting in the years ahead is uranium. It's Yes, it's back, isn't it? It's it's starting to fire. It's starting to come back. and, And it's it's starting to be seen as because uh, it's now four years since Fukushima, which completely destroyed the uranium market, rightly so, of course. And um, everyone's kind of now got nuclear reactors that are a new generation. They're much safer, apparently. And it's been presented as a climate change product. It's uranium. been presented as an alternative. An alternative to coal, to coal mm. for baseload power. And you know, China's building 26 nuclear reactors at the moment. I mean... Goodness gracious. Yes, uh, and actually one of the things we should say in terms of when we're looking across the, the, the ASX at companies, uh, the, uh, it's the uranium companies really are starting to lift. Now, um, interest rates, James, what do you reckon? I reckon there are no more cuts. Isn't that a plucky thing to say? But I've been oh, talking all week and there are still a couple of economists, can I say, there are still a couple of economists who still have cuts in their forecasts and I believe that they have them in their forecasts and they don't know how to get them out. They are embarrassed by how up-tempo the RBA was a few weeks ago and so they're trying to manage these cuts out. But I really don't think that sincerely any of the major economists believe there's going to be more cuts. Oh, I agree. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think we've seen 1.5% is it. It'll probably be 1.5% for 12 months, Yeah, I would say. So I don't think the next rate rise will be this year. In my, I mean, I, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But mm. but I'd say probably not. And um, mm. and the next, but the next move in rates is up for sure. It is, I think so. You know, uh, and part of that, of course, they're already going up in the U.S. 
uh, and you see the uh, rates in the American market now starting to rise right across, uh, including uh, at all levels, including their 10-year rates. And you were talking to a key American operator in the Trump administration. Tell us a little about Eric Cantor. No, well, he's not actually in the Trump administration. He <laughs> was... My apologies. He's no, not, uh, no, important distinction, yes. No, well, he, he's a Republican. Mm. He was a Republican politician. Uh, but in 2014, he lost his position in the House of Representatives, where he was majority leader. So, uh, but he lost in the primary um, to a, um, a bloke who was a member of the Tea Party. It was the canary in the coal mine for Donald Trump, who mm. came, who obviously came two years later. Uh, he's now um, an investment banker with Mollison Company, and uh, was on the is on the circuit doing a bit of promotion. So I've been interviewing him. And but he's not oh, interesting. Okay, so he's a former congressman, uh, and, and maybe moderate in compared to some of the Trump administration. Now in Molus, which is a, a really important global investment bank. Uh, for instance, it's part of the the, the, the team floating Saudi uh, oil. Aramco, yeah. Aramco. But um, so, where does he come from on Trump, and what does he say? He says that um, uh, uh, Trump is a negotiator. So uh, you should take everything that he does in that light. So, and negotiators, particularly business negotiators, tend to go out hard and then come back, mm. which is what Trump's been doing. Mm. Um, and so a lot of Trump's extreme positions are being wound back in negotiations later. He says that Trump um, will, be, will be around in four years' time and will recontest the 2020 election. Yes. That he won't be impeached, in his opinion. And, and in terms of unleashing the entrepreneurial uh, power of the U.S., well, how is he on, on that issue? Well, uh, he was—he's very interesting on the subject of Congress. Now, I'm—I've—I've um, I've, I've got an hour-long interview with with him on the Constant Investor going up next Tuesday, which will be worth listening to, because he is quite interesting on how the U.S. system works and the checks and balances. And so, wh whereas Trump wants to reduce the company tax by 15%, it's going to be quite uh, do two. The company tax in the US two 15%, which is what the stock market is on about. Yes. The stock market is looking for that. The reason the stock market is so strong at the moment the is it because in. of that. Mm. Uh, he's saying that's it's actually going to be quite complicated because um, the Republicans do not want to increase the debt ceiling. They don't want increased def deficits. That has to be funded. It'll have to be funded by, in part by the border tax proposal. The border tax proposal will lead to an increase in the currency by the same amount as the border tax. And so there's a lot of complications mm. and you can't take it for granted that the company tax will be reduced by that much. Right. Okay. Interesting, interesting uh, man and I'm sure he'll be interesting to hear. Now, you've got something to say about Nib and Medibank, which uh, I, have I don't even know what that is, James. Well, I think what are you, you going to say? I think you do, because Nib is um, Nib, the uh, <laughs> Newcastle, I don't know what it stands for, but it's the, it's the insurance. I think the N uh, stands for Newcastle. Newcastle, yes. It's the Newcastle Insurance, whatever. Uh, but very useful uh, mid-cap company in health insurance and a great little operation, basically, run by Mark Fitzgibbon which plays in the market against a very large operation called Medibank Private run by Craig Drummond and they both have released their results and the Medibank Private results which has across a much larger share of uh, base of shareholders very disappointing results really very flat and Craig Drummond been very wary to make sure that no one thinks he's going to improve things anytime soon 
In contrast, uh, NIB have re released a really good um, half-year result. The shares are coming up on $5, which is like the top end of anyone's expectations. Its, its, its profit growth was equal to half the profit growth in the entire private health insurance market. So I think it's worth noting that... There you go. Well, it's worth noting that someone can make money out of private health insurance. Yeah, well, Lib's customer service is great. Medibank's customer service is crap. And people and so, are leaving in droves. And that's what Craig Drummond admits, yes, and he's trying he to fix up, it. right? Yeah. And but, I think you're going to see... he's got a lot of work to do. If, someone, if, if anyone's old enough to recall how the Bank of Melbourne, once upon a time, built a whole business about people walking out of Commonwealth Bank uh, 20 years ago, you have something very similar here. People are walking out of Medibank Private and they're walking into NIB. Uh, so the only issue really is whether this stock gets overpriced. But it's also, in, it's also almost reassuring, because at a certain point, if we don't have healthy private insurance as a business we're going to have terrible strains on our on our on our our national health insurance our, our medi bank medicare will basically become will be under enormous strain unless you have successful private health so i think it's quite reassuring to see markets given an nib bring in those results he's a terrific guy too he's i think he's great he seems to be a very good operator he does well, we it probably does. have time for a little bit of uh, a coverage on two small caps. One is Aconex and one is MicroX. I don't know anything about MicroX. Uh, you're going to talk about them. And Aconex, well, they're a software, construction software small cap, which everyone loves. And uh, this is part of the problem with small caps. They become outstanding. The market talks about them and they run up. So in January, uh, I think it was a trading update from Aconex, which was pretty grim and the stock fell wait for this, 45%. It's also the second most heavily shorted stock in the market. And is it still the second most yeah, heavily shorted? Yeah, it is. Shorted? I checked even this morning. It's fallen 45%. Yeah, even though it's Actually, fallen it's recovered 40. a bit since then. Yeah, yeah but it is um, after Meyer. So yeah. you look at them too. What do you think? Well, I think they're still a bit expensive, but um, they're a terrific company. And um, uh, Lee Jasper, the CEO, made the mistake, I think, in the January update of blaming Trump and Brexit. Yes, and he shouldn't have. You, know, you really. never should. Well, you never should. I mean, honestly. Yeah, um, your company. I think Richard Pratt used to say anyone that talks about the wider economy explaining their business operations is, is hiding behind it. You've got to make yeah. your business regardless of the GDP thing is, figures. It is, a, it is a terrific business. And, you know, I mean, I, the thing is, the business hasn't really changed. Mm. The conditions have changed a bit. You know, they're having a bit of trouble um, in the UK, I think. But really, the business is fine. They've got 30% of construction projects in Australia, 10% in um, uh, the rest of the world. They need to. They are getting that 10% up. Um, they're aiming at 30% of the construction projects around the world. In which case, they'll be a multi-billion-dollar business and making an absolute manure load of money. So it looks like one of those cases where the company's fine. It's the stock. That stock the went problem. too high. Went stock down went a bit. too high. Now, MicroX. Um, I just want to tell you about James because because um, you went to Adelaide. I went to Adelaide and, and visited and this. Obviously, you went to Adelaide. You have to tell me what happened. Well, I went to see this company out of the Mitsubishi, the old Mitsubishi factory. Oh, yes, yes. And there's, it's an industrial park now. And there they are. And it's got, they've got this office and a little factory. And what they make are miniature X-ray machines that are lighter and cheaper than the old ones. Right? So a doctor could have one in their surgery, is that it? Absolutely. And mm. uh, the nursing home can have one. Mm. to see, you know, when the, someone falls over, they can see mm. if they've broken their hip. And they'll cost about seventy or $80,000. Um, and, and also they're going to sell them to the Defence Department to X-ray bombs. Because you can do it, you can put them on a robot 
that'll go and x-ray the bomb to see if it's actually a bomb. Right. Um, and then what's marvellous from a social point of view is it's, it's in Elizabeth, I think, is it? It's in that area where, which well, is... Well, the suburbs Tonsley. I don't know how far it is a difficult, a difficult area economically yeah. because of the car closures. Car so it's been closures. started by this bloke named Peter Rowland who um, ended up driving me to the airport and we had a lovely chat and, uh, and he's got this little thing and they're, making, they're actually making it, the machines, in Adelaide. Good for them. Are they private? No, no, it's listed company. It's listed company. Mm-hmm. Micro X. Mm-hmm. MX, MX1 is the code. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I like it a lot. It's good, isn't it? And in Geelong, you've got the guys that uh, they were ex-forward workers and Ford closed down and they're building well, the graphite right. Micro X, he's, he's employing all these ex-Holden workers, right? So he's got about eight mm. former Holden workers building these, building these machines. Good. Well, these people should be encouraged. But as you say, that's eight. They need hundreds of jobs over there, not uh, not dozens. Okay, well, we'd better wrap this up, Alan. Yeah, I can't sit around drinking coffee all afternoon. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with another episode of our podcast, which is, of course, sponsored by the BT Financial Group. And until then, make sure you subscribe to The Money Cafe on iTunes, leave a review, tell a friend. If you've got any questions, you can tweet Alan at The Constant Investor or myself at The Australian. Speak to you next week. Thank you. And thank you. doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from.